Uh, this morning we're going to be in Micah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 8. And you can turn there. And while you're turning there, I have a question for you. You know, have you ever known anyone who was in a relationship or who had been in a relationship where they were loved well, but they turned their back on that love and sought uh, love elsewhere or sought affirmation or acceptance elsewhere rather than in that relationship where they were being loved so well? Maybe it was a wife, a spouse you knew, knew of that she was loved well by her husband and yet she was not satisfied in that relationship. Or maybe it was a husband that was loved well by his wife, and yet he sought out uh, acceptance and satisfaction in other people rather than in, in the one that was loving him well. Or maybe it was a child that was loved well and turned their back on that love. And you maybe even have said something like this as you have experienced or come in contact with people like that. You may have said, you know, she doesn't, know how, she doesn't know how good she has it. How could she do that? Or, you know, how, how could he possibly turn his back on that love? Doesn't he realize how much he's loved? And, and what I see, and I'm sure you see it as well, that no matter how well you're loved, you still have that possibility that you can turn your back on that love. And so how do, you, how do you explain that type of departure? How do you explain the fact that people make that choice to turn their back on being loved well? Why do we, you know, why do we take love for granted? Well, it usually happens like this. Maybe you meet someone and you experience goodness and love from them. And initially you are... Uh, excited about that, there's a contentment there, uh, you are satisfied in that, but then as the relationship continues, uh, you become impatient. And the reason you become impatient is because uh, you're not getting what you want as quickly or things aren't necessarily going your way, and so you grow impatient. And Im- impatience is simply a symptom of discontent. And that discontentment leads to this desire to want to find contentment. And so you start looking outside that relationship for your contentment and satisfaction. And yet it all started with being impatient with the person. And just think about this. How many relationships are destroyed because of impatience? Just not allowing the relationship to go through the process it needs to go through to mature And like I mentioned, we become impatient uh, with the other person because we're not getting what we want or things aren't progressing as fast as we would like it to. And this type of impatience, I mean, it's it's characteristic of some of our relationships with one another, but it can also creep into our relationship with God. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been impatient with God? Maybe you've prayed and it doesn't seem like He's answered your prayer. At least not the way you want him to. And there's, a, there's an impatience that begins to brew in your soul. Have your circumstances in life, you know, maybe they contributed to your impatience. Because this is not the way you envision life to go. And so you become impatient with God. And discontent. 
And perhaps that leads you to uh, look elsewhere for satisfaction, significance, acceptance. You begin to want to deliver yourself instead of waiting on the Lord. Well, this was the question that God would ask Israel in Micah's day, roughly 700 B.C. And we find it listed here in Micah 6, verses 1 through 3. And beginning in verse 1, we read this. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, please your your case before the mountains, and let the, the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. And so we see this court case developing, and God comes in and He says, I'm calling the hills and the mountains to be witnesses to the charge I have against my people. Now why does He call upon the hills and the mountains? Well, I think the reason He does that is because they've been there since the beginning. And they have seen the work of the Lord. And so He's calling them to be His witnesses as He lays this charge against Israel. And then he poses this question in verse 3. Here's the question. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And the word there that's translated wearied can mean, it can mean burdened or it can mean impatient. And I believe what the Lord is asking here is he's saying, How have I caused you to be impatient with me? And like I mentioned earlier, impatience is a symptom of discontent. And sin is the thought and action that flows from being discontent with God. And so the question we could ask is this. How is it that you have become discontent with God's love for you? How have you become impatient with God? And... Our problem is, we tend to forget. We're just not very good at remembering what God has done. And so we forget where we came from, and we forget what God has done for us. And so in confronting the people, God here, He reminds them of His great redemptive act for them on their behalf. And then He begins with how He delivered them from slavery and made them a people, made them made them His people. And so He's going to call them into remembrance here in verse 4. And He says this, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. So what God does is says, Okay, how have I wearied you? How have I caused you to become impatient with Me? Remember who has redeemed you. Do you remember back when you were in slavery in Egypt and who brought you out of that? You know, God saying, I brought you out of the land of slavery and put you in a position of prominence. And if Micah, I think if Micah were here today and he was addressing the church, I think he would phrase this perhaps the way the Apostle Paul phrased it in Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14 when Paul says this. He says that he, meaning God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, you weren't taken out of Egypt out of slavery, but you were taken out of slavery nonetheless. Your slavery to sin. And so it's still, it's still a calling back. We need to be 
reminded of God's redemptive act in our lives. And we need to ask the question, you know, who delivered who here? That's important. Who delivered who? Well, it says in Micah that God delivered the people because the people could not deliver themselves. And it says here in Colossians that God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son because we could not deliver ourselves. And yet, what happens is when we are delivered, that deliverance seems to fade in our memory and we become impatient with God. And we begin to doubt His goodness. And we begin to forget the gospel. And so just think about yourself. I mean, have you, have you forgotten the gospel? Have you forgotten that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life? So the question, even for us, and it was the question God posed to Israel, and that is, are you wearied by the grace of God? Are you impatient with this, with this God of grace, even though He's delivered us from slavery and transferred us to His kingdom? And then He goes on to say to the people in verse 4, He says, And I sent before you Moses and Miriam and Aaron. In other words, not only did I take you out of slavery, but I gave you all that you needed to move forward with, with me. He gave His people all that they needed to move forward with Him and go in the place that He had for them to go. And yet, now in Micah's day, the people were, they were taking their redemption for granted and they were seeking to be led and protected by everyone else but God. And even today for the church, I mean, think of what, the God, what God has given us so that we can move forward with Him. I mean, He's given us the Scripture. He's given us pastors, teachers. He's given us the church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the community of believers. He's given us one another so we can continually remind each other of His redemptive acts in our lives. We need that because we forget that. And then as we face circumstances and issues in our lives... If we're not reminded of that redemption, we grow impatient and discontent. And we begin to go our way instead of, instead of God's way. And so he says, not only did I take you out of slavery and put you in a position of prominence and make you my people. He says, I gave you leadership. I gave you uh, people to help move you along further into the realization of his promise and then thirdly, he says in verse 5, he says, Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised? And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord? Now, if you're, with, if you're familiar with the book of Numbers, this king of Moab, what he did is he called upon Balaam. And he asked Balaam, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up and I want you to proclaim a curse over the people of Israel. And God prohibited Balaam from, be, from being able to speak a curse on Israel. All he could speak about Israel was blessing. 
And he says, not only have I taken you out of slavery, I've given you leadership, but even when people tried to curse you along the way, I blessed you, not only with this person giving you a, verbal, a verbalized blessing, but I blessed you tangibly by bringing you into the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land promised to Abraham. And yet the people, even though they were in the land that God had given them, they abused this blessing. And we saw earlier in Micah that people, these people were full of greed and they began to ignore God's purpose of the land. And they began to try to accumulate for themselves significant portions of the land to the detriment of the people. And they were beginning to hoard the blessing. And when you do that, whenever you do that, whenever you hoard the blessing of God, you pervert its goodness. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were taking the land that was meant to be a blessing and they were hoarding it and perverting the very purpose for why they were given the land in the first place. And that is to be a kingdom to represent God on the earth. And yet they were building their own kingdom. And basically what they were doing by doing this is they were, they were triggering this garbage disposal of their sinful nature and they were consuming every good thing for their own purposes. Instead of seeking God's purpose for the land and all of the blessings He was giving them. And this is just, if you think about it, this is what impatience leads to, does it not? I mean, when you become impatient with somebody, there's a reason, and then you want to seek resolution somehow. And so if you're waiting on the Lord and He's not showing up in the way that you want Him to, you're tempted to go elsewhere. And that's what the people of Israel were doing. They wanted something other than what God wanted for them. And so they were going elsewhere. They were going to their own economic strategies. They were seeking protection outside of God's will. And they were even worshiping other gods because they wanted what those gods offered. And this is what impatience leads to. And then you're sitting here, and I'm sitting here, and I'm reading this, and... Our, our temptation could be to say, how could they do that? <laughs> the people of Israel, I mean, look what God did to that, with that people. How, how could they forget so easily? How could they take God's love for granted? <laughs> and even as that last word of that question begins to roll off our tongue, you know, the Holy Spirit unveils our heart and we realize how quickly we forget the gospel. You know, how effortlessly we move from contentment to greed. And how arrogantly we raise our own purposes above God's. It's just so, it's so easy. And we can hear God's voice even saying to us, like He said to them in verse 3, Oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? And then as some of us hear that though, perhaps we sense you know, God pushing in and we say, we're not going there. You know, I'm, I'm going to remain impatient. I'm going to remain bitter. And I'm just going to deliver myself 
And then what we need to realize, if we remain in a position of impatience with God and discontent and we begin to go our own way, hardness begets hardness. Hardness begets hardness. And that's how some of us may may even be today. We may resist God and not hear this. But then others of us, we will hear the voice of the Spirit and be prompted to ask the question that Micah asks in verse 3. And what Micah does here is he verbalizes the question that's on everyone's mind in Israel as they're hearing this indictment of the Lord. And this is the question in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? So, when confronted with your sin, when confronted with your sin, you may ask, how in the world can I now approach a holy and offended God? One that I've sinned against. How, how can I approach this God and be accepted by Him? How can I present my case before God in heaven? And what the people realize is that there must be a payment for their sin. I mean, God just doesn't gloss over sin and say, well, it's no big deal. You know, when look at your background, look at your social status, look at your money issues. He doesn't say, well, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And the people realize it's a big deal. And they realize that they have accumulated this debt and somebody has to pay the balance. In other words, there has to be redemption. There has to be forgiveness in order for this relationship to be put in place. And so the question is, how can we have our debt paid? How can we be redeemed? Well, Micah gives you a few options that people seek to pursue. Verse 6, he says, Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? In other words, will I be accepted by God because of my external sacrifices? Will I be accepted by the Lord because of my dedication, my religion, my practices? Is that what will make me right with God? And if not that, then what about verse 7? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? In other words, will I be accepted by the Lord because of the quantity of my sacrifice? Will that do it? Will that take care of this sin issue and allow me to come before God? You know, one Old Testament scholar noted that the man making these offers, he says he fondly imagines that quantities of transgressions can be swept away by quantities of sacrifice. And then listen to what he says. He says this notion of atonement, forgiveness, by means of costly gifts of virtually buying God off, dies very hard in the human heart. This notion of the atonement by means of costly gifts dies very hard in the human heart. In other words, our default position is to pay God off. Do something. Yes, I've sinned. Well, I'm just going to do some other things to try to outdo that sin, cover the sin. Well, so 
if it's not these three things, what does the Lord require? Well, I think the question needs to be put a different way. It's not with what shall I come before the Lord, but it's with whom shall I come before the Lord? And what we know throughout Scripture it is that, it's that God prepares the way of salvation. God is the one who delivers. God is the one who provides the means of forgiveness. And what we know from Scripture, in, again in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that He delivers us from the domain of darkness, transfers us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, forgiveness only comes through the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can have our sin forgiven. And so it's through this relationship with God that comes through Christ that we can be, or we can have access to God. In other words, it's not what you bring to the table. It's not the, the year old calf. It's not the thousands rivers of oil. It's not your own child. <laughs> Micah says, you know, what if, it's, what if I sacrifice my firstborn? Would that do it? Would, would it take my most valuable person, relationship or thing? And he says, no. Our relationship only comes through what Jesus has done for us. It's what he brings to the, what he brings to the table. Now the question is that once we're in this relationship with God, how do we walk with God? How do we grow with God? What does God require of His people? Well, we see it in verse 8. Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, do justice. God is good and right and just and true, and therefore His people should pursue what is good Right, just, and true. You and I pray with my children at night. I pray for several things, but one of the things I've been praying for them lately is that, God, would you give them a love for what is true, what is right, what is good? So that comes from Him. Do justice. And then love kindness, mercy. In other words, treat people the way you want to be treated. Treat people the way God has treated you in Christ. And then lastly, walk humbly with your God. And this is really the engine that drives the first two. You know, walk humbly with your God. If you're walking humbly with God, guess what? You're going to do justice. You're going to love kindness. Because the humble person recognizes their need for God and they're willing to wait on God. They don't become impatient with God. Humility breeds patience with God. A waiting upon the Lord. And so the question we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we impatient with God? Are we confused by His timing? Are we, you know, are we doubting His goodness? And if that is you this morning, what you need to do is you need to remember his redemptive work in Jesus Christ. You, know, you need to remember the gospel. And as we remember the redemptive work of Christ on our behalf, we will be propelled to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And as we remember the gospel, uh, we will not be wearied by the Lord. And as we remember the gospel, we will not remain impatient with Him. And so as we leave here this morning, I'm just 
wanting to call you back to the redemption of God. What He's done for you in Christ. And let that be the standard of His goodness. let, Let that be a signpost to His faithfulness. And so as you walk out of here and face all types of different situations, all of us do, all types of disappointments, all types of opportunities, let us not be a people that are quick to forget the redemptive act of God. Let us pray. God, we come to you and we confess we are a forgetful people. We forget the goodness that was shown by each other to us, others to us, and didn't we are so forgetful of your goodness. Lord, and I confess that's true of me. I often forget your faithfulness, forget your goodness, how you've shown up in so many ways in my life, how you've shown up in so many ways in the life of this church, how you're at work all around the world. Lord, help us not to grow discontent with you. Help us not to grow impatient with you. But let us walk humbly with you, God. Help us to wait on you and cling to your promises and your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.